Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Nine years ago at New Spring, we did a series called Red Letters, and the title is all about the fact that the words of Jesus in some of the older Bibles, especially that were printed here in the United States and around the world, had the words of Jesus set apart in red ink. Now, of course, all the Bible is the Word of God, but we all would agree, I think, that there's something very special about the actual words that Jesus said. So nine years ago, back in 2011, we looked at eight sayings that Jesus said, and we built messages around what Jesus said and the reason why those words are important. But here we are in 2020, and we're living in a world right now that none of us anticipated. But months ago, as we were praying about what series to do, we felt like God was bringing us back to the actual words of Jesus. And I don't know that in this season, when we're hearing so many messages and so many words from so many sources, I just don't know that in this season, we could hear any more important words than the words of Jesus himself. But I'll tell you something about this series. We call it Red Letters, the questions, because Jesus asked a lot of questions. Now, if you're familiar with history and philosophy, you'll know that some people refer to that as the Socratic mode or the Socratic way of teaching because Socrates asked questions. But Jesus' questions are not in that vein. His questions are called to ask from us a response. And so that response, of course, when we answer the questions of Jesus, really frames the Christian life and the Christian experience. Today, we come to perhaps the foundational question that Jesus ever asked. And so this makes today a very important message, if for no other reason. We're in the Gospel of John chapter 11, and I should give you a little bit of the backstory. We are now talking about the week before Jesus will be crucified. He is in a little town called Bethany, and he is meeting two sisters who are very good friends of his. And in John 11, verse 26, he is going to ask one of them this simple question, which is our question for today. Do you believe? Well, as I said, that's the very foundational question of the Christian faith, because believing is the front door of knowing God. Let me say that one more time. Believing is the front door of knowing God. Not giving, not sacrifice, not a whole lot of otherwise good qualities. It's just that the one that God asks for is believing. It is the first step. It is the foundational point. It is the very front door of knowing God. Not, God does not ask, did you do, but do you believe? And so we're not surprised that Jesus would ask this question. See, here's the thing. 
No amount of doing can take the place of believing. Here at New Spring, we often say that we have trouble with religion. We don't mean by that that we have trouble with the people who are part of religion. We just have some trouble with the systematized approach to God because that tends to be along the lines of did you do? I mean, how many of us, when we look at our our Christian experience or even religious experience, because some of you may have grown up in traditions other than Christianity, how many of us thought that it was the question, did you do? Did you do this to join the church? Did you do this in order to satisfy the requirements of your religion? Did you do? And here's the thing. Some of us who follow Jesus, we still hear the echoes of that. Did you do? But Jesus doesn't ask that question. He doesn't ask, did you do? He asks the question, do you believe? No amount of doing can take the place of believing. So let's just go to where this leads us. You know, a person can't say, you know, I, I really think I'm okay because I'm a nice person. I'm not sure I believe, but I'm a really nice person. I try to treat people well. Well, the problem with that is it doesn't lead us where we need to go because Jesus didn't ask, did you do? He asks us, do you believe? Tell you why that's important because it might not make sense at first, especially if we've come up through the systems of human performance in religion. You understand that God is not impressed by what we do. He can do anything by speaking. I mean, he can do anything even without speaking. Our God, well, he stood out on nothing, stood, you know, and spoke the world into existence. So the God who can do anything by speaking is not impressed by what we do. But you do have one possession that he desires more than anything else. And I'll tell you why. He gave it to you. It belongs to you. And consequently, it is the one thing that he so wants us to give him. He gave us a free will. He gave us the ability to decide. He gave us the ability to choose. He gave us the ability to believe. And when you believe, you give God the one thing that he has given you the power to hold. That power is completely in your hands. So when you choose to trust God, you have given him the one thing that he desires more than anything else. I, I could take the rest of this sermon, which might be a good experience sometime, but I could take the rest of this sermon and show you verse after verse after verse where, Bibles, where the Bible says that a relationship with God is about believing. Let, let me go to the most famous verse of the New Testament. This is in John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 16. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, or he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that, look at this, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Have eternal life. What's the cut point? What's the cut point between not having eternal life and having eternal life? Jesus just called it. Believe. In verse 18, the Bible says, Jesus said, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Verse 36 says, anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Now, I'll tell you what I love about those three verses is that you have the word believe and then everyone, anyone, anyone. Isn't that awesome that the threshold is there for everyone to believe? One more verse. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
And you can't take credit for this. It is the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Can I say that one more time? Let me just read that verse again. The Bible says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's the gift from God. And salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So for all of us today who feel that we just come up short in so many areas and we feel like we failed so much, could we all just breathe in a wonderful deep breath of God's air and recognize that salvation is not based on what we have done, but it happened when we believed in Jesus. So back to our sermon. We're not surprised that Jesus asked this question, do you believe? It's the front door. But here's where it does get surprising. In our scripture, in John chapter 11, Jesus is talking to a woman who has already come in the door. He's talking to a woman who is already a believer. Her name is Martha, and she is a personal friend of Jesus. Martha lives in the town of Bethany, which is like two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus is so close to this family that whenever he went to the city of Jerusalem, which of course is the epicenter of the Jewish faith, he would stay two miles away in this home and commute back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem. I mean, these are close personal friends of Jesus. These are people who believed in him a long time ago. And they love him very much, and he loves them very much. So, as I say, it's kind of peculiar that Jesus would ask her the question because she's already a believer. She has already come in the door. She is part of Jesus' inner circle. They are personal friends. Maybe this will help you as you process this message. Who do you know in your life who is the closest God follower? I mean, if you wanted someone to pray for you, I mean, above all else, who would you call to pray for you? Because you know they know God. If you had a question about the Bible, not just a not just a question for information, but I mean, if your soul was desperately needing an answer from God's word, who would you go to? I mean, who is the person in your life who is the closest God follower? Jesus is in their life. And when you think about Jesus in skin, even though you know this person is not Jesus, he or she is the closest thing you know to who Jesus is. Now, Imagine Jesus asking that person, do you believe? Because that's what we have here. Jesus is asking a woman, and I, I hope I'm not being too trite here, but we would say that in the Christian faith, she is a rock star. These are Jesus' close friends. Jesus is asking her, do you believe? Well, you might think that there's a backstory, and you'd be right. As I said, this is the week before Jesus will die on the cross, and he is not in Jerusalem or Bethany when this story begins. The story actually begins with an illness. Well, right now we're talking about the coronavirus. It's, it can be a very serious illness. So maybe it was something like this, and maybe, maybe Lazarus caught a case that went to bilateral pneumonia, and it looked like they might lose him. Because I think that's kind of a modern explanation to help us understand what was going on in this house. The two sisters, Mary and Martha, watched their brother Lazarus, who was very close to Jesus, get sicker and sicker day by day. 
he got worse. And they thought maybe he'll get better, but he wasn't getting better. And then they did the one thing they knew would make the difference. They quickly fired off a message to Jesus. And all they put on the message was, your friend, the one you love, is sick. They didn't say Lazarus was sick. They said, the one you love. It was as if they were saying, Jesus, you will know who we're talking about. This is the guy. (laughs) This is your friend. This is your best friend. And he's sick. That's all they thought they would need to say. Because Jesus had helped all kinds of people. He had helped strangers. He had healed people who weren't even part of the family of Israel. Surely, all they would have to do was send off a text and say, your best friend is sick and Jesus would come running. But he didn't. One day went by, two days went by, three, and then four. I hate waiting. I hate waiting worse than bad news. Because if I get bad news, I can process it. I don't like it, but I hate waiting more than anything else. In my head, I see Mary and Martha stare at their front door. Any moment, they're expecting it to open, and there's Jesus. And he will come back to the back room, and he will touch Lazarus, and Lazarus will get up and be fine. I see Mary and Martha walk out to the road outside their house by their mailbox and look as far down the road as they possibly can, staring, hoping at any moment to see the familiar face of Jesus and his disciples. But hour by hour and day by day go by, and Jesus doesn't show. And Lazarus struggles to breathe. And then there's that moment when there's no questioning. The breath has gone out of him. He's dead. I'm guessing at that moment they did what you do when you've had the death of a loved one. You have arrangements. You need to call the funeral home. You gotta make sure there's you gotta make sure there's a spot in the cemetery. You got to deal with the fact that mourners are going to be piling into the house. And that's, I guess, what happened with Mary and Martha. They, they had a gravesite picked out. There was a, a tomb where Lazarus would be played and a, a, would be buried, a, an above-ground tomb and a stone that would cover the cave where he was. So they got, rid of, they got ready for all those arrangements. And then they had his funeral. And at this point, Mary and Martha are not looking down the road anymore. They're not watching the front door. Jesus didn't come. But he did come. He showed up. Late. Four days late. We are not surprised that Martha was disappointed in Jesus. Have you ever been disappointed in God? I have. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you've got skin and you're living and breathing and you believe in God at all, I'm guessing that at some point in your life you thought or prayed or believed that God was going to do something and it didn't happen the way you thought and you were disappointed. And, and if you've been there, you know exactly how Martha felt. And on top of that, <laughs> Martha is not one to 
hold back. Her sister Mary's quieter, but Martha is kind of like out there. And I love people like Martha. We often talk about Mary's strengths, and she had many, but I, I honestly love people like Martha because with Martha's, there are no hidden agendas. There, 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 there's, no, there's, no any, there's nothing held back. Martha was just out there. And so she said to Jesus as she saw him what was in her heart. She just said, if you'd been here, our brother would not have died. Can you say it simpler than that? If you had showed up, our brother would not have died. Now, up until now, I've been telling you a 2,000-year-old story, an important one, but I've been telling you a Bible story. But now, it's a good, but now it's about to get very personal for you and me because I want you to notice something. When Martha said, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother would not have died, Martha told Jesus that she thinks there are two things more powerful than he is. The first thing that she thinks is more powerful than he is time. She basically said, time ran out on you. If you had been here, you would have satisfied the requirements of time, but you didn't, and time ran out. And consequently, time has proven that it's more powerful than you are. Well, think about it one more time. She said, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. She also thinks that death is more powerful than Jesus. So time and death. I mean, she watched Jesus do miracles. She watched, him, she watched him do extraordinary things. But they, in her mind, had to be in a timely fashion, and they had to stop short of death. So in effect, she is saying, Jesus, I believe you have power up to a point. I believe, I believe in you up to a point. But when the door closed on Lazarus' grave, the door didn't just shut me out. It shut you out too. Wow. What kind of door has closed in my life that shut me out that I thought it shut Jesus out too? Is there a door that's closed in your life that you couldn't go past? And now you're saying, Jesus can't go through that door too? Because that's where Martha was. Martha said, Lord, I believed you. I thought you were powerful up to a point, but, but time came along and shut you down. And beyond that, see that, see that, that door on Lazarus' grave, that big old rock that's laid across that cave? It shut him in, it shut me out, and it shut you out too. If you'd been here four days ago, we'd be cool. This message, do you believe, really goes to a more sensitive point. At what point does your faith in Jesus stop? Where is that spot where your faith in Jesus doesn't go any further? This is sensitive. Did your faith in Jesus stop three weeks ago? When we started having to shut down our daily lives, did it stop then? As I opened this message nine years ago, I preached a series called Red Letters. 
And as I prepared for that series, I, I looked at eight statements of Jesus that I felt were the most powerful. Not that I would know, it's just I, I prayed about this and wanted to come up with a series. I remember very clearly week one because it was based on Jesus' statement, come. Because I thought, if Jesus were here today, I know the one thing he would say is come. But the second week of the series was for me the most challenging. If you've ever heard the story of New Spring and you kind of know my backstory, you'll know that about, well, nine years ago, I, I just went through a time of emotional collapse and, and just years of not taking care of my anxieties and my ADD. My body just ran out of adrenaline and, and I had to be away for a few weeks and just rest and have someone speak into me. I was so excited about getting back and because that season had been so difficult. It had been a season of growing very close to God. And when I came back to preach, I was so excited to preach these messages. I happened to be preaching red letters and I felt the power of God on me in an unusual way. I don't think I've ever said that till just this moment. But week two of red letters drew me a curve. I had to preach on Jesus, the healer. And there were two stories that I told in that sermon. One of the stories was about the woman in the Bible who for 12 years had been hemorrhaging. And she spent everything on the doctors, but they couldn't help her and she got worse. And she was the one who said to Jesus, if I can just touch the, well, she didn't say it to him at first. She said, if I can just touch the, wing of his garment, I'll be okay. And she was healed. In that same context, there is another 12-year situation that involves a female. This time, it was a little 12-year-old girl. And this girl was so sick that Jesus was requested to come and heal her, but by the time he got there, she was dead. And the story is about how Jesus raised her back to life. To the best of my ability, I preached those two stories. But on Saturday night after our service, I walked out of that door right over there. And just as I got outside the door, I said, Lord, I don't know what that sermon was about. I just said you did two miracles that were about a woman who was sick 12 years and a 12-year-old girl. And, and I said, God, I don't know what it meant to those who were sitting out there listening to the message. I said, God, I have no idea what that sermon is really about. Well, I'm in South Auditorium taping. I went outside that door. I swung around behind the worship center. My office was on that side. I was headed toward my office and Mary Alice, knowing I was still pretty exhausted from what I've been through, she said, Mark, I know you're tired from preaching two messages, but we just got an urgent request, and as exhausted as you are, I think you need to address this. A little girl in our church, 12 years old, had been in a horrific accident and was lying in a hospital, and the family was waiting for her to die. At the risk of being too forthright. She was sitting in the passenger seat of her car. 
For those of you outside of Kansas, we, out, we're in an agricultural culture outside of the city. And one of the things that is done with our agricultural fields is after they've yielded their harvest, they are burned. It's just part of the growth cycle. And so we're familiar with seeing smoke billow up from these burning fields, but the problem is sometimes the smoke can blow across the road. Well, as this, I believe it was the stepmother and this little girl were, were proceeding forward in their car, there were a couple of farmers who stopped in the road talking just as smoke billowed across the road from a burning field. And when this adult who was driving the car drove into the smoke, she did not realize that the two trucks were stopped there. One was a flatbed truck, and the bed of that flatbed truck caught the corner of the car where the little girl was sitting, and her head hit the back of that truck. The highway patrol would say that there was brain matter in the car. And when Mary Alice asked me to go to the hospital, she said, The doctors, of course, say there is no chance for her survival. The family is gathered there, and they are simply waiting for her to die. I got in the car, drove straight to the hospital, went to the pediatric ICU, and there I saw this little 12-year-old girl lying in a bed, frail, basically looking lifeless with machines and tubes hooked up to her body. I would love to tell you that I had faith, but I did not have any faith. I thought to myself, this little girl is not going to make it. But I did what pastors do. I, I asked the, those who were there with the family, I said, let's make a circle around her bed. And we held hands, and I prayed a prayer. That was, well, it was a good-sounding prayer for a pastor, but all the time I'm praying, I know the facts. I know the doctors have already told me what's going to happen. The, the looks of the emergency or, or, or the looks of the ICU nurses tell me everything I need to know. This case is over. But I prayed some kind of prayer. And then we all walked out of the room. <laughs> but I guess I'd taken my glasses off when I prayed and I must have laid them by the bed because... As I started to walk back around the corner, I realized that I had left my glasses. And so I went back into her room looking for my glasses, and I found them. But I noticed that it was just me and her left in the room. And I'll never know exactly why I prayed this prayer, but I reached down with my hand, and I took hold of her wrist. And I said, Jesus... If you are what I just told these people that you are, you could do something here. (laughs) That's probably the most pathetic prayer I've ever prayed, at least the way humans look at things. It wasn't flowery. It it was just, Jesus, if you are who I just told these people you are, you could do something here. But I walked out of the room, and and please don't... (laughs) Don't misunderstand. I I didn't walk out of that room with any more faith, I guess, than I walked in with, except for just the faith to pray that prayer. But I I expected during the night to get the word from the family that she had passed. But by the next morning, she was still alive. And so we have two morning services here at New Spring. And 
in one of the services, actually both services, I just said, there's a little girl in a lot of trouble and kind of told a little bit of the story and I said, I'm going to ask you to pray for her. And we had prayer for her that day. I got a letter a little later that is very precious to me. The letter came from an emergency room specialist at that hospital who had 20 years background of emergency medicine. And she would write me later and say, when you asked us to pray, I was actually angry with you. Because she said, in all my years of emergency medicine, I had never seen anyone come into the emergency room hurt that badly who lived. She said, I was angry with you a little bit because I thought there is no reason to ask the church to pray for her. She said, we were just praying that she might live long enough to be an organ donor. But Sunday passed, and she was still alive. And Monday passed. And she still hadn't died. The doctors, of course, are cautioning the family, don't get your hopes up. About a week later, the doctor said, or the family said to the doctors, you know, when we touch her, we notice that she's responding. And the doctor said, oh, he said, you just don't understand. That's just the autonomic nervous system that we have. And he said, it, 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 it's reflexive. And he said, watch, I will, I will pinch her arm and it will move. And he pinched her arm and suddenly Megan said, ouch. And the doctors knew something was happening here. Well, I would love to go in and just tell you the rest of the story, but let me just tell you that they sent her to Kansas City, which we have a, a, a big children's hospital up there. And a week later, not only did she regained consciousness, she jumped out of the bed and ran into the back of the ambulance. For those of you who were here, you will remember how about a year later she bounded up on our stage that day and she is, was at that point an A student. To this day, I cannot begin to tell you what happened there. All I know is I just took her arm and said, Jesus, if you are who I just told these people you say you are, you could do something here. Well, Jesus doesn't do that in every situation, and I don't, I don't mean to suggest to you that he does, but it was just a, it was a big moment in my life, and it remains so to this day, and, and it is what is on my mind as I ask you the question, what is the point where you stop trusting Jesus? Well, Martha, it was time and the grave well, this is where this story gets peculiarly interesting. Because as we read on in this chapter, in John chapter 11, Jesus dialogues with Martha. And Lazarus is still not raised yet, but I want you to hear this discussion with Martha because it, it summons us to think about what we do when we reach a point where we stop believing in Jesus. Let's read verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you everything that you ask for, whatever you ask. Now, do you hear that dichotomy in Martha? <laughs> Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died, but, but I know you're very powerful and you can ask God for anything. I mean, it's as if Martha has mutually, mutually exclusive thoughts. Well, I don't blame her because sometimes I do. So Jesus tells her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha said, sure, I, I know he's going to rise at the end when everybody else rises at the last day. And then Jesus begins to gently pull Martha past that point where she stopped. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes, believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? There is our question. Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. If you had any questions earlier in the message when I told you Martha's a believer, that just got settled. Martha said, I've always believed that you're the Messiah. So now, Jesus says to Martha and her sister Mary, let's go out to the grave. And the crowd of mourners who are gathered in the house, they troop out too. And Jesus goes out to the grave. And we'll talk about this on another day, but this is where the shortest verse that a lot of us ever memorized in the Bible is, where the Bible just says Jesus wept. But we're going to pass that for today. We need to go to verse 39. Jesus says, as he stands there at the grave of Lazarus, roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? See, here's the thing. We are in a world where seeing is believing, but Jesus now flips that and puts it in its correct order when he says, didn't I tell you if you believed, you would see? But for right now, I want to focus on where Martha is. Because Martha just told Jesus, I believe. But when Jesus wants to roll the stone away, she says, he smells bad. He's been dead four days in a Mediterranean climate, deterioration, decomposition has set in. So do you hear Martha? I mean, it's like there's this, there's like this disconnect. There's like a gap. Yes, I believe in you, Jesus, but don't roll that stone away. Wow. I feel that so much in my life. Yes, Jesus, my theology believes in you. Yes, Jesus, when I'm posting on Facebook, I, I post about how much I believe in you. Yes, Jesus, when I hold the Bible in my hands, I believe you can do anything. But don't touch that stone because he's been dead four days. How, how, how do we process that? Are we, are we hypocrites? Was Martha a hypocrite? Am I a hypocrite because I read that God can do things, but my, my fears are there and talk to me too? I, I don't believe that we're hypocrites. The Bible doesn't say that. There's a story in the life of Jesus that parses this absolutely perfectly. In the Gospel of Mark, there is a man who has a son, a little boy, who's in a lot of trouble. We don't exactly know what's going on with him psychologically. We just know that this, this boy is in a lot of trouble. And the, and the man goes to Jesus' disciples and asks if they can help him with, their, with his little boy, and, and they can't. And Jesus comes along, and when Jesus comes along, this dad who is terrified by what's going on with his son, he says to Jesus, have mercy on us and help us if you can. Oh. That's our sermon in one sentence, isn't it? I believe you have power. Help me with my boy. 
up to the point where you can. I, I, there's a point where you have to stop. I understand that. Jesus responded, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, or said, anything is possible if a person believes. Oh, can we just hold that close to us right now? The man said, I know you're very powerful. And up to this point, you can help me. Help me up to that point if you can. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? I, that point doesn't stop me. Anything is possible if you believe. The father cried out. And oh, how those of us who try to follow Jesus we know exactly where this father was because we have been there probably every day of our lives. I do believe, he said, but help me overcome my unbelief. Could I sign my name to that prayer? Could I stand in line behind that dad? That's, that's been the story of my Christian faith. I do believe but help me pass that period. Help me pass that point where I don't feel like I can believe anymore. Why is this sermon so critical to us today? I'm just going to be straight with you. This is the kind of thing we don't say very often in church, but it's just one of those elephant in the phone booth statements. You know, We've, we've just said, well, we believe, but there's a point where we struggle. So God, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. If, if we just wanted to stay where we are in the land of restricted possibilities, we could just end the message right here and we could say, you know, Mark was right. I do believe, but struggle to believe and kind of believe sometimes, but oh, God help my unbelief. And wow, we heard the sermon today. But wait a minute, did you hear what Jesus said to that dad? I mean, did you really hear? I mean, one more time, let's read it. Have mercy on us, the dad asked, if you can. Jesus answered, what do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Well, for those of us who believe in Jesus, there's no getting around that. Jesus said, if you believe. Where's that point where you believe in Jesus up till, but not after? Because evidently from what we just read from Jesus, there is stuff that would be possible that wouldn't be possible if we didn't believe. Can we take a deep breath? One more time. There's stuff that would happen that wouldn't happen if we didn't believe. Next week will be Palm Sunday and then Easter. I want to just focus on the night before Jesus was tried and crucified because he is with his disciples one last night. He has washed their feet. They have had Passover and the Lord's Supper. And Jesus now is desperately pleading 
with these 11 men, Judas, of course, now being absent. Jesus is desperately pleading with them to pray. And Jesus is praying. Now, I want you to hear what Jesus said about his prayer. Think about the fact that he's staring at the cross. In Luke twenty-two thirty-two, Jesus says to Peter, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Do, do, do you hear what Jesus is saying to Peter? Jesus knows what's about to happen. They're going to arrest him. They're going to try him. They're going to jerk out his beard. They're going to nail thorns in his head. They're going to nail him to a cross, and he's going to die there in shame. And he knows what that's going to do to the disciples. I mean, Jesus understands the mission he's on and what he's going to do. And Jesus clearly knows that in three days after that, he's going to rise from the grave with all power. But he understands that the disciples are going to watch him jerked away, led away, abused and crucified. And he understands that that may wreak havoc with the confidence that they have in Jesus. In other words, Jesus was saying to Peter, I'm praying that what you see happen to me will not cause you to stop believing. Think about that. Think about what Jesus was facing. Do you hear what he's saying? He's not saying, Peter, I'm praying for you that, you know, Jesus didn't say, I'm praying that I won't fail. (laughs) I mean, Hey, if I were facing what Jesus was facing, I think I would pray that. I'm praying that that I won't fail. But Jesus was not worried about failing. He knew he was committed to doing what the Father had called him to do. And so Jesus, when he asked the disciples to pray, he wasn't saying, boys, I want you to pray that this whole thing doesn't go up in smoke. I'm asking you to pray for me that this whole thing we've been working on for three years doesn't fall apart. Instead, he asked them to pray that their faith would not fail. In other words, he asked them to pray that there wouldn't be a stopping point where they could believe up to that point but not past that point. What would it take in your life to get you to stop believing in Jesus? What would it take in my life? Coronavirus? Why do we have the coronavirus? I don't know. God doesn't invite me into that room. As one of our previous presidents said, that's over my pay grade. I don't know why the coronavirus is here, but I know it could be a teaching moment. I'm not saying God intended it for this, but there are things that just happen in our lives that can be teaching moments. Today, I'm going to ask you to do something. Wherever you are, wherever you're watching this message, in your mind, I want you to turn one direction and I want you to see all the things in your life that you believe are unfixable. Now, this sermon will will move quickly, so maybe you'll want to do this a little bit now, but maybe you'll want to take time to do this in depth a little later. I just want you to, in your imagination, go to a room, and in that room, I want you to stack up all the stuff that you feel can't be fixed. This is the stuff, like time and death, 
with Martha that you have said, I believe in Jesus up to this point, but I'm not sure this stuff can be fixed. So look this direction and look at all this stuff. And now for a moment, I want you to look away and I want you to look at the other direction. And for just a moment, look at Jesus. Not the Jesus hanging on the wall in the picture. Jesus Christ. Jesus Lord. Jesus Messiah. The Jesus of the Bible. Look, look, look at the Matthew 28, 18 Jesus where he said, All authority, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Look at that, Jesus. And as you look at him in the face of the coronavirus or anything else that you're dealing with, may the Spirit of God ask you and me, as Jesus asked Martha, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? If you do, I'm going to ask you to join me in saying these words from your heart. Jesus, I declare you are Lord. I declare you are Lord over heaven and earth. I declare that you are Lord over the coronavirus. I declare that you are Lord over everything that is worrying me today. I understand my declaration doesn't make you Lord. You are Lord already. You were Lord before the world ever came into existence. But I just want to go on record adding my name to the testimony of the truth that you are Lord. There were 56 names, 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. Primarily, it was written by Thomas Jefferson. But at the moment that those 55 others signed their name, they were part of the Declaration of Independence. Jesus was Lord long before the meter of my memory started running, but at the moment where I signed my name to that, I am part of the family of God. And I am part of the movement of God that cannot be stopped. So if you're listening to me today, wherever you are, and although you may never have verbalized this, deep in your heart there is a feeling that says, Jesus, I believed you had power up to blank. I believe that you had power up until the point where my loved one is sick and I ask you to heal her and she died and I still believe in you. But that's the point where I just reached the outer limits. Jesus, I believed, into, I believed in your power until you didn't answer my prayer. Jesus, I, I believed in your power up to the point where I began to think you, you don't love me the way I thought you did. Jesus, I believed in you until your power didn't come through like I thought it would. I believed up to there but that's where I checked out. I still believe in you for some things. I'm still a Christian. 
I still worship. But back there at that point, our relationship changed. Well, for all of us who feel that way, that describes Martha. That's where Martha was. But Martha and I and Martha and you needed to learn something about Jesus. Because remember, Martha said, time and death stopped you. In Revelation chapter 1, where the glorified Jesus appears, giving us the game plan for the last days. He said this to John, who was also the one who wrote this story about Mary and Martha. Jesus said, don't be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I was here before this thing got started and I'll be here throughout eternity. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and the grave. And so today, let faith arise. Let faith arise in your heart. Let it arise in mine. Let the faith that, faith that America so desperately needs today, let it arise in our hearts. Not, not just the kind of faith we post about, and that's fine, but the kind of faith that we live, the kind of faith that functions, the kind of faith that the crowd around us doesn't understand. And when we begin to demonstrate the kind of faith that nobody can figure out, that peace that the Bible says passes understanding, then we can actually become the light of the world. We can actually become the light to say, our God's power does not stop at the coronavirus or anything else. And then we, as Christ followers, can begin to live up to what he dreamed for us. We can actually become the light that draws people to the Son of God to lead them to the one in charge of everything. Do you believe? Do you believe? If I'm talking to a Christ follower, you will know what you need to pray about. You don't need me to lead you. The Holy Spirit of God has already talked to you about what you need to pray about. But if you're here today, watching, wherever you are, and you say, Mark, I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus. Do you remember what we started the message with? Everyone who believes on Jesus will be saved. Anyone who believes may be saved. Say, Mark, you don't know about me. I struggle with faith. There's still a lot of questions that I have. And you're asking me to put my faith in Jesus when I've got so many questions. Jesus loves questions. That's what our whole series is about. Bring them to him. You say, Mark, you don't know what I've done. I, I, I don't. And I'm not a smart man. But I, I just read everyone who believes will be saved. I just read anyone who believes will be saved. Anyone who believes will have eternal life. I, I, I don't know 
all the stuff that you know about yourself. I just know what the all-powerful son of God who can't be stopped with all the stuff that stops other people with the keys of death and eternity. I just know he said anyone who believes can have everlasting life. And wherever you are, whatever questions you have, if you will just take one step of faith toward Jesus, he will hear your prayer. I left this verse out at the beginning of the message, but in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Son of God will be saved. You say, Mark, I don't understand that. I don't, I may not be able to, listen, all the power belongs to him, the power to save, the power to change, the power to transform. That's all his. He will be the one who makes a difference in your life. He just wants the one thing that he put in your control, the power to choose and believe. He wants you to put that in his hand. Could you do that today? I'm going to pray a prayer. These are not magic words. You can pray your own prayer if you wish. God's looking for an I believe. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'll pray it slowly, line by line, phrase by phrase, and you can decide if you want to own this and say it to Jesus. Dear God, I am a sinner. I am broken beyond repair. But I believe that Jesus has all power and he has made me a promise. He said, if I would believe in him, I could have everlasting life. I choose to believe in Jesus. I bring my soul and put it in his hands. I do believe. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he is alive, I commit everything to Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for forgiving my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, New Spring Church has a gift we would like to give you. It's just some stuff that we've put together. It's our way of saying, let us take your first steps walking with Jesus with you. There's some great stuff in here that'll be a real asset to you. So if you're in the continental United States, you can just text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. And we'll do our best to find a way to get this to you. Thank you for watching New Spring Church today. And my prayer is that a whole group of people will walk out of this day putting confidence and faith in Jesus. And if we do, the best is still yet to come. May God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.